Hey there. The holidays are here, so it's good to know Fred Meyer can save you some time with free pickup on all your fresh favorites. Whether your traditions call for a hearty helping of juicy ham, ample apple pie, or Aunt Sue's legendary twice-stuffed stuffing, Fred Meyer has got you covered. So order for free pickup at fredmeyer.com or the app and get more time to get your holiday on when you grab your groceries curbside. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Welcome to the Everyday Mindfulness Show, where we educate and inspire people to live fuller lives through mindful practices. Let's get started with your host, New York Times contributor, leadership advisor, sought-after keynote speaker, the author of the Amazon hot new release, Everyday Mindfulness from Chaos to Calm in a Crazy World. She's smart, strong, sassy, and a trendsetter in the field of mindful leadership. Your host, Holly Duckworth. Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Mindfulness Show, where we talk with real people about living mindfully, the good, the bad, and the interesting. And today I'm excited to bring to you a conversation with Chief Connecting Officer of Thrive Meetings Events, Tracy Sukrath. Tracy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Holly. How are you? I'm glad to be here. And well, how are you? Well, I am glad to be here. I'm doing great. And I'm really excited to bring a very specific niche conversation to my audience today. You have built a really fascinating focus in your business. Can you talk to us a little bit about Thrive and what you're doing that's making your, awesome, your business super awesome? Yeah, thanks. I, for nine years now, actually, this is my ninth year in operation doing this. I um, speak to organizations and individuals around the world on how to create safe and inclusive food and beverage environments. And I help them, this is, sounds a little bit harsh, but not kill or offend people with the food that they serve them. And that's understanding their dietary restrictions. So from food allergies to celiac disease to vegan and vegetarian, people from all around the world are coming to your events and they have one of those four types of dietary restrictions. They may or may not, but how do you make sure that they have a safe meal that they can eat and are included in that meal function? Because a lot of times we don't provide for them. And so you're actually unintentionally excluding them from the experience. And that's the last thing that we want to do when we're creating events. So I'm and or having meetings in the workplace. And so that's what I'm teaching people is how to create that safe and inclusive environment through the food and beverage that they serve. Well, and that's what I love about the work you do is so often we think about dietary preferences, but you're talking not only with preferences, but something much deeper than that, the actual medical reasons why people have certain dietary restrictions. And while you do have a focus on meetings and events and are a meeting and event professional yourself, I think the lessons that you teach can also be applied if you're planning a family wedding or something more casual or even a meeting in your home that you your mindfulness really comes from a compassion for people in the human experience of food that we have to have every single day. Exactly. I mean, and we all eat and there are so many, there's food everywhere around us. And 
whether it is a wedding or it's a workplace or it's school, you know, there's food everywhere. And how do you care for those individuals? Because your goal is to bring them there. You've invited them to your table for the lack of a better description, no matter where it is. And you don't want them to go hungry. And, and if you do let them go hungry, to me, you're, in, you're not compassionate. And it, it leaves a bad taste in someone's mouth, um, pun intended on that, um, in how they feel that you care for them or you don't care for them. And it really broadens the scope of what we're doing with food and beverage, you know, or what you can do with food and beverage. So every once in a while I get to interview someone and I go, you make a career out of that? You know, like really that can be, be a career. And I believe that you can make a career any, out of anything you're really passionate about. So where did your passion for this come from? Um, I, yeah. And a lot of people are like, they do ask me that question. You're like, what? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and especially when I say, I don't want to kill or offend people with the food that you serve, but I got diagnosed with a food allergy back in 2003 and I went cold turkey and I was still planning a hundred meetings and events a year and I couldn't eat a lot of those events nor could I eat at events that I attended in my business. So I was like, I started researching it and, and I found an, the Institute for Integrative Nutrition and I started taking that up in New York and I was sitting in Lincoln Center at, during one of the weekend trips up there and I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to start a business that helps me educate the industry on how to accommodate dietary restrictions. Actually, how to make the world healthier one event at a time. And that's where this whole concept started. And I'm in the nine years that I've done, when I first started, I, you know, this is food allergies, this is religious beliefs, and you must feed people. And somebody told me that I was so passionate that I came off as defensive. And so I had to take a step back and look at it in a different perspective of, like you said, the caring perspective of it. And, you know, why do we need to do this? It's financially um, an opportunity um, to do it. It's also financially saves you money if you accommodate the dietary restrictions because you're not throwing food away that would go uneaten because I didn't order Holly what she needs. And in the last couple of years, it's really come to play and come to mind that it is an inclusion and it's a, it's a diversity and inclusion issue. So you've got the people with diversity of food needs and how do you make them feel included in that event? So it's a combination of those. And I really think that's, you know, a way to look at it besides the legal and financial aspects of it um, that you can fall into as well. So it's, it's really grown and I'm, I'm really proud of myself for the way it's developed. Wow, so much to unpack in, in what you just said there. Let me, let's go back a little to go forward. And we'd like to start each show with the guest's definition of mindfulness. Um, as I've been out there kind of hacking this road for mindfulness with CEOs, executives, and leaders, what I've learned is there's not one agreed upon definition. So I'm curious, what does mindfulness mean to you? I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, I think everybody thinks is just sitting and doing, um, you know, and being quiet and finding your own peace. But I think in the work that I do and in, and, and in finding, I think it's a combination of what I do in my work and how I treat other people as well. And as I was driving across North Carolina this morning, thinking about what we were going to talk about, I 
saw two people on the side of the road that were cleaning, picking up garbage. And I literally wanted to pull over the road and say, thank you very much for doing that because it's probably a very thankless job, you know, and, and I do that in Las Vegas with the people who are cleaning the streets in the morning at six o'clock when I'm taking my walk, I, I thank them for doing that. And to me, that is a big sense of mindfulness because you're taking the time to look outside of your world and see what's going on around you and being mindful of what people are doing for you. And one of the other things that I do a lot is if you have a name badge on, I'm going to call you by your name and say, Hey, Holly, how's your day? Or Holly, thank you so much for cleaning that trash can at the hotel or, you know, and that, that actually brings a sense of pride. It helps bring a sense of pride to someone for what they're doing if they might not like their job or not, but you're being conscious, conscientious and thanking them for that. And then the other sense of mindfulness, and I'm not really giving you a definition, I'm just using descriptions of how I see it, but I exercise outside and I don't put headphones on because I, I'm very mindful of what's around me and I like hearing the birds chirping and hearing the noise around me, even if it's busy cars. Um, but it gives me a sense of place of where I am. Wow. Wow. That's so, so, so awesome. Because one of the things that I heard as you were sharing some of your career exploration and in career development was a couple of, of mindful practices around that idea of listening. I mean, you listen to yourself to get to the thank yous. Um, but you talked about listening to yourself as you were guided. Um, my role is how to make the world healthier um, at meetings and events. I mean, you got kind of this, it sounds like, like a message, a feeling. Can you talk a little bit about how listening to yourself informs these thank you events you talk about? And then certainly listening to the birds and the chirping and all that. Do you find that listening to yourself and maybe even listening to others could be a part of your practice? That's actually a good insight. Thank you so much. Um, I never really thought about it, but I think it's true. I mean, you have to listen to your gut. And, and I am probably pretty hard on myself. But when I do, I'm like, nope, this is, you have to go back and say, this is what I want to do. And this is how you want to go about it. But it was a sense of there. And when I was sitting in Lincoln Center and I came up with that thought, I'm in the room with 1500 other people and they're just like me. And so I'm like, I'm not just the only one out there that's having these issues. And how can I be helpful with that? Um, and how can I help create a space where they feel included as well. And, and they're not hungry at the table. And, and I think definitely listening to your gut on how to do that and getting stories. And it's amazing when I tell people what I do, how many stories just come start spewing out of their mouths and telling me their experiences with this and then how they, they actually, are very selfless in it, I guess. They, they don't want to be a burden. And so they don't necessarily tell people about it, but I'm like, I need you to tell people about it because you need to be included. And so helping them figure out the steps that they can take is a good thing. And listening to them is, is very, very important. Well, that's, you know, when we connected a couple of years back and started talking about about this. I mean, this is one of the things that makes me so inspired by your work is you heard this big mission 
and yet you don't get overwhelmed by it. I mean, of course, you know, that's why we talk on the show. We have good days and bad days. And, you know, I'm sure you ride the waves with that. And you're like, really? Holly thinks I don't get overwhelmed by it. But yet you have taken on this thing by storm and you've written articles, you're working on books and your, your keynote speaking. Um, I know being out there in the world, you're gathering some of these stories. What's a really great example of somebody who maybe said they were a burden or believed that or in that challenge that used your work maybe as a, a meeting attendee or a meeting professional and then had a great result as a result of speaking out? Um, I, hmm, that's a good one. I, I actually, a woman I was talking to this morning comes to, to mind. I mean, she actually has a wheat allergy and so she's not gluten-free, but I mean, she follows gluten-free for the fact that glute, wheat, gluten is in wheat, but she actually has a physical wheat allergy and she, that's, she hasn't used my work, but it's listening to her and how she applies it and stuff. But somebody else a couple of weeks ago was like, wow, I never actually thought about it as this is being a disability. And it is a disability according to the Americans with Disabilities Act now, um, but they always just thought of it as this thing they had to deal with and they don't want to burden anybody else. And so talking to them and, and having them look at it in a di different perspective is this is a medical need that you have and we need to take, we need to own that medical need. And when people start to do that, they're like, oh, I don't, I don't have to feel ashamed by it because there's so many people with food allergies that don't own it and feel ashamed about it. And, and not just food allergies, but, you know, religious beliefs and, um, you know, if they follow a very strict vegan diet, some of them just don't want to tell you. They'll just go about their day and finding food on their own. And, and I, I just feel like that's just so not shameful, but not, not the way you should live your life. You should own the way you live and the, and the way you have to eat and be comfortable with that. And we shouldn't shame people for that as well. So you use some terms that people may not be aware of. And you said that there are some legal aspects and financial aspects to this. And um, tell us a little bit about that. Again, we're probably shifting a little more towards the meeting and event planner perspective, but I think it's good for all of us, whether we're planning an event or simply attending an event, Maybe you could educate us a little bit on some of those things. Well, yeah. So the legal aspect actually goes into the workplace as well. So in 2018 or 2008, the Americans with Disabilities Act was amended. And with that amendment came the addition of words to what are major, considered major life activities. So what we typically think of as vision and hearing and mobility. Well, they added the word eating and they added the, all of our bodily functions, so the immune system and the digestive tract. So what that does, it gives individuals who have to eat a specific way for medical reasons, civil rights protections under the ADA. So if, I'm gonna, if, I, if eating a peanut or a crumb of a peanut is gonna potentially kill me, I now have civil rights protections under the Americans with the Disabilities Act. And so this, Don't, or if I don't provide for that peanut-free person and I give them that, I'm throwing a $50 plate away and preparing another meal for them that I have to pay for. And in the workplace, 
when you're having staff meetings or you have a company cafeteria that's part of your benefits of employment and you don't provide for those employees, they're not feeling cared for. Their, their productivity and their self-esteem in the workplace is diminished. And so they're not going to be productive. So it's actually a lack of revenue or productivity, which is a lot. It brings back financial implications to your company as well. There's one woman that I interviewed a couple of years ago and she has a severe shellfish allergy and she lives in Boston, which is really hard because there's lots of seafood in Boston, but she lost two and a half weeks of work because of allergic reactions that happened in her workplace and because she was in the emergency room. And that's a serious, you know, hurt on the company. And how do you manage that? And who's taking her place and who's getting her work done when she's in the hospital? Um, so it has that financial aspect on it as well. And then, you know, just the financial aspect of ordering food that's going to go uneaten and unserved. Wow, Tracy, what great examples. Thank you for opening our minds to this. We're going to just take a Listening. We'll be welcome back to the Everyday Mind with President Actions Officer at Thrive Meetings and Events. And Tracy, you have opened my eyes to food in a different way. And some of these statistics can be pretty startling. These quotes on the Americans with Disabilities Act. And then, you know, that story about uh, the woman being off for two weeks. I know I talk about that a lot in mental mindset. We don't think about how some of these little small decisions can have such a major impact in our world. Um, you do this event, this on a grander scale. Maybe you can give our listeners some tips um, in their own life as somebody who's maybe going to a workplace or maybe hosting an event um, at home or in a restaurant. What are maybe some questions or tips that we can take away to begin a ripple of your work out in a little way as just a person who wants to be a part of your mission? That, that's a great question. And I think everybody needs, the first thing is that everybody just needs to ask, you know, hey, I'm having this event. We're going to have food and beverage at it. Do you have any dietary restrictions that we need to take into consideration when we're planning the menu? And that little question, it may bombard you with a lot of different answers. You know, because some people are like to be smart and say, oh, I only eat chocolate or, I, you know, whatever. But listening to them and getting their responses and then talking to the person that's providing the food. My friend, David, years ago, we were chatting and he's like, okay, well, I'm going to try this at work. And he used to do lunch and learns for his clients. And instead of sending just the regular menu from the, whatever restaurant he was buying the food from, he sent, he asked those restaurants for their vegan, if they had vegan options or gluten-free options and sent those along to them. Um, as well and says, let me know which of these menus you want to order off of. And he got so many compliments from his customers saying, thank you for not letting me just have lettuce for lunch. And so just by asking the question or being um, proactive in providing menus that have different options on it, you're actually opening up an opportunity to create a better relationship with somebody. So the first step is definitely asking the questions. And then when you're, if you're having to order food or you're starting to make food, um, you need to make sure that you're asking them as well, um, is it 
this is probably a little bit too much sometimes, but is it by consumption or is it by touch or is it by um, inhalation, you know, stir frying shrimp in front of somebody, is that going to cause an allergic reaction? So making sure that you understand how those allergic reactions are triggered um, or if they're following, you know, if they're vegan or vegetarian, you know, are they vegetarian? Um, do you eat honey or do you eat eggs and milk? Because some people avoid some of those things. It's just, Holly, the biggest thing is just conversation and, uh, and communication. And if you're putting food out that has some things in it, the next thing is to definitely kind of label it, not kind of label it, but label it. And, and, Does food contain dairy or is it dairy-free? Does this food contain wheat or gluten? And making sure if you do have some people with some out-of-the-norm dietary restrictions, make sure you talk to them and say, these are the things that you can eat. Communicating to them, we're putting these things out. Here's a list of one of the things that you can eat. There are some things that you can't eat, but here's what you can eat. I think those three steps of labeling, communicating, and just asking the question up front is a three big steps that can help make a big difference. Thank you so much for that. Now, you know, on the show, I get to ask the hard questions everybody wants to ask, but nobody's willing to ask. So Tracy, I follow your advice. I'm having 30 people over, we're making dinner. I've asked the question and somebody comes back with one of these requests, requirements. How do I as a host, I mean, do I have the right as a host to say, I can accommodate X, but I can't accommodate Y. How do we create safe, or I use the term light-filled boundaries around this? What, what, what's my responsibility? Is like, like, help me understand. If I have to say no, how do, is that even possible? Or once I know this, am I obligated to do something? Help me out here. Um, I wouldn't. If if you're just hosting somebody in your house, I don't think you're obligated to do it. If you're, and I. And there's a fine line when you're doing it in the workplace and you're doing it at an event. If they're paying for that food and beverage and that food and beverage comes with their registration fee, then you, you're more highly obligated to provide them something as a reasonable accommodation. If you're hosting somebody in their house, you're like, okay, I'm not familiar with this, not sure how to handle it. What can we, this is what I'm comfortable with. What, talk, talk through it with them. You know, some people have a list of dietary restrictions and it's better to put them directly in touch with the chef, the person who's making the food, than trying to communicate it. But if you're hosting them in your house, say, this is what I'm comfortable with. Any chance that you can bring something with you, you know, that maybe everyone can share because, you know, there's foods that they can bring that everybody can eat that's safe for them too. So if it's, if that's, if it's something in your home, I would talk to them and make it a, a shared opportunity to provide food. Um, and, but in the workplace and at events, um, you need to look at it, about it as a little bit more of a legal obligation and what can you do? There are properties or there are places I definitely know that say, okay, we need you to bring your own food and that's okay. But you do have to check about that with the venues where you're hosting those, if they'll allow that. So well, and again, I think you're just demonstrating your mindfulness in, the, in this process. And the more we can 
ask the question, listen to our own inner voice, like you've demonstrated, listen to what people are saying. And, you know, thank you for that wording. I'm not familiar with this. You know, we live in a world where we're told we have to have the answer, have the answer, have the answer. And this, you are on the cutting edge of an industry of legal requirements, financial understanding that we just don't know. And it's okay to not no. So using those words, I'm not familiar with this, can be really, really key to somebody who's embarking upon this journey. Definitely. And, you know, in talking to people with food allergies or other dietary restrictions, and the one thing that I say is like, it's not like they go to Walmart and buy it and, you know, and just change it. So there are some people who just have decided to do this on their own, but people who have medical conditions or whatever, they it's not like they bought it at Walmart and we're going to return it to Walmart. It's not that simple of a thing. And because you don't necessarily live it every day, I don't expect you to know the ins and outs of it. And some people with dietary restrictions have to take a step back and, and understand that we need to look at it as an opportunity to educate the people who don't know about it and don't live with it. Um, don't use it as a defense mechanism, use it as an opportunity to educate and bring them into your own circle so that they are there as an advocate for you as well, and you're teaching them. And maybe they'll find something, you know, good to eat that they didn't know they could eat. You know, Mikey likes it, you know. Who knows? <laughs> you know, the other piece of this that I always, you know, say too is, you know, I love your, you know, that, that rule number one is ask. I, you know, I, I teach mindfulness. It can be a pretty vulnerable topic and personal topic for people, just as food and food preferences can be. So, you know, again, asking somebody what their level of comfort is sharing. It, it always sounds like a great idea. Oh, would you like to bring food to share? And, and that sounds great. And some people are into that and some aren't. So always following your intuition with, you know, asking, 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 because these things can be very personal. And we just, you know, we think about food, oh, it's just everywhere. And, and it does permeate both the strengths and sometimes the vulnerabilities in all of us. It does. And you, the last thing that you want to do is make someone ill. At least I hope the last thing you want to do is make someone ill or offend them or potentially kill them. And so being vulnerable and being transparent in your knowledge or lack thereof is very forthcoming and actually helps create a safer space for people to enjoy and participate. Well, and if you've been listening to any of the episodes of the show, you know that um, I teach this stuff because I make mistakes too. And I will never forget, Tracy, you'll, you'll die laughing when you hear I actually did this. I invited a friend who identifies in the Jewish religious tradition to our Easter, which of course we served ham, which of course is not a part of their um, their dietary experience at that, that holiday. And I could have died and crawled under the table because I should know better. But you know, even I make mistakes and there's going to be a time sometime where you might make that mistake too and having the you know the compassion to to forgive yourself and apologize and you know back to your you know thank you thank you this person you know they they clearly were not interested in having that that dietary experience but we were able to you know provide other dishes and side dishes and things that made them happy and you know just sometimes you just you're going to make the mistake and and honoring the the oops and the thank you and and using it as a teaching opportunity. So, you know, if, if you're making this mistake out there, no, I've done it too. <laughs> yeah. And, and I actually, I did a corporate event and I ordered popcorn for one of the days and duh, I didn't even think about that. The popcorn was already in butter and we had a bunch of vegans and dairy free people. And I'm like, I do this for a living. And I forgot. 
So I actually totally made it up the, the following day when we were having breakfast and I went out and bought all these pastries that were gluten-free and dairy-free and vegan and nut-free. And it was a gluten-free um, pastry shop. And they're like, no, there's no way she served. And I announced it and they're like, there's no way she's serving it. And my client's like, yes, she got this stuff for you. So they were like elated. Where did you buy it? And then, and then so that one little mistake, I'm like, I'm so sorry I forgot. And then you can totally make it up. So um, it's, it's owning it. Yeah. yeah. So um, speaking of owning it, what are you working on now? I am working on a variety of different presenta new presentations that speak to the workplace um, and how to provide for individuals who are in your workplace that have dietary restrictions, as well as a book called Eating at a Meeting. And it will address from every different perspective, who, uh, uh, from the eater to the person who's taking the order to the server and the chef, how do, how do we own it? What is the experience that we have? and how can we create a ex better experience when you're eating at a meeting um, across the board, whether it's a wedding or, you know, a business meeting. So I'm excited about it. It'll be out by the end of the year. Well, no, I just put that publicly, Holly, I got to do it. You know, you have my support every step of the way. We are so grateful that you are owning it, that you listened to your intuition and to yourself and you heard this need in the world and that you're capturing it and really owning your place in teaching us to be more inclusive and curious in the discovery of how we can provide food and events that inspire and connect everyone to their best self because you know food is a basic necessity so i'm curious uh, for listeners who want to learn more maybe get the book follow your blog or invite you to speak at their organization what's the best way to contact you you can reach me at thrivemeetings.com that's t-h-r-i-v E meetings, which is plural.com. And you can shoot me an email at Tracy at thrivemeetings.com. I'm also, yeah. So those two ways are the best. And spell Tracy at T-R-A-C-Y. So traditional spelling, Tracy at thrivemeetings.com. And she's being modest. I'm going to throw it out there. Tracy is a great consultant as well. So not only does she advocate for this, but she's a feet on the street living this as a meeting professional. So if you're looking to bring somebody onto your team to create an event, um, don't hesitate to reach out to her for some of those consulting needs as well. So Tracy, before we leave today, any last minute tips? We're going to ask more questions, be more conversational, and label our food. Anything else we can do to support your mission? Just think about what you're eating every single day. I mean, I'm also a big advocate of sustainability and um, buy from your local vendors and see who you can support and engage your audience with what you're serving and what they want to understand who they are. So you're serving a better plate across the board. Well, I am a foodie, so I am taking that advice to heart. I'm going to go try something new, fresh, and local this spring right here from the beautiful state of Denver. Um, hope to see you here soon, and we just had such a rich conversation. I hope you'll come back again. Yes, ma'am. Plan on it. Awesome. Thank you so much. Remember, mindful matters, and so do you. Thank you for joining us for today's show. For more mindfulness every day, visit everydaymindfulnessshow.com and download the three-day challenge and experience the ABCs of mindfulness. Mm -hmm.